Empire. How do you monetize the moment? In collectibles, of course. That's what's becoming very, very popular in the modern card market, is to basically trade these players like they're athlete stock. And that's really the focus with what we're building at Starstock, is trying to create a market that works well for you know uh, these modern cards. That's Scott Greenberg, co-founder and CEO of Starstock, where the modern trainer goes to cash in on the real-life moments of sports. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. Recently, a journeyman quarterback named Taylor Heineke had the unenviable task of having to play against the greatest of all time, Tom Brady, in a playoff game. But he and his Washington football team didn't just lay down. In fact, he injured himself diving for the pylon in what ended up being a decent scare of the Buccaneers. In that moment, Taylor Heineke may have saved his career and on the trading market, upped his value in the blink of an eye. No one knows this better than Scott Greenberg. Our guest this week is Scott Greenberg, who is the co-founder and CEO of Starstock, which is a marketplace where hobbyists can buy, sell, and invest in their favorite athletes. And for me, I get to talk about my stash, which began in the 1980s, and find out if it's worth anything these days. Hey, Scott, how are you? Hey, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on the show. I want to start this with, um, I only have a casual awareness of there has been a boom um, this year in sports card trading. Um, and I, I assume you're going to agree with me on that. Do you know why in 2020 happened? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of reasons. I don't think you can just pinpoint one. Um, obviously, people being at home with, with COVID, certainly, um, you know, helps people uh, were going through their attics and, and their basements and with no sports on us, us sports fans were trying to find other ways to entertain ourselves. And sports cards were one of them. Um, but the, you know, the market's really been picking up steam for a few years now. Um, and it's, you know, there's, it's kind of had a resurgence. Um, you know, it was very popular in late 80s and, and the 90s. And then um, you know, the, you know, the, the market uh, dipped a little bit. And over the past few years, it's really become storming back. And I think there's a few reasons for it. I think there's, you know, this new um, type of collector and investor that's coming into the hobby um, that, you know, that's coming back into sports cards. People that are sports bettors or uh, fantasy sports players are starting to get back in. Um, and then there's also, you know, an element of, of people that are collecting it almost like it's a modern art. Um, and so for a lot of high net worth individuals um, that have, you know, that have the money uh, to spare, um, this is, you know, one of the things that, you know, they like to spend their money on. It makes them kind of feel that emotion that they had, uh, you know, when they were kids collecting cards. And so um, we're, we're definitely seeing that, that sports cards is having quite a moment right now. So back in the 80s, when I was a collector, um, you could get all of the different sports, but baseball cards were the ones that had true value attached to them. Has that changed here? Has the marketplace changed for other sports? Yeah, 
100%. Um, the market is, it's a basketball market now. Um, and so basketball is completely taken over, which I think shouldn't come as a surprise. Um, the players in the NBA now are, are the, you know, most popular athletes in, in, in this country. Um, and they're the ones that have the strongest brand, um, and, and are the most, you know, tied to pop culture. Um, and so as a result, this is, you know, the, the new people that are coming back into sports cards, it's very, very basketball focused. Um, baseball and football, um, and actually soccer is pretty popular as well. And with basketball, so even going back to my time as a collector, as a, as a child, um, the baseball cards that had value were the older cards, the rarer cards. In some cases, they would have been in cigarette cases. Um, this is different now. Do Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Michael Jordan, do they qualify as valuable? Or are we talking about people are looking for the modern players, LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, Kevin Durant at all? No, the vintage cards are super, super valuable. And they're really the ones that kind of hold the whole market together. Um, and so, you know, what, what a, a big reason for this resurgence is that people are essentially um, using sports cards as athlete stock. Um, and this has been a, uh, a trend that's been happening over the past few years. And the reason why is for current athletes, um, the card price is directly correlated to how the player's performing um, in their games. And with these vintage players or even, you know, all-stars and future Hall of Famers like LeBron James and Steph Curry, you can look at their card price and use that as a benchmark to uh, prospect younger athletes. And so LeBron's like standard rookie card is about in between ten and $15,000. Um, and he's, you know, going to retire and be one of the top three basketball players to ever play. Um, you know, Steph Curry's and uh, Kevin Durant's a good example. His is around four or $5,000. And so if you know that these all-stars and superstars are, are worth that price, then you can start, um, you know, assessing rookies and second and third year players and, and really try to figure out which ones have a chance to potentially reach the Kevin Durant or LeBron James point one day. And so that's what's becoming very, very popular in the modern card market is to basically trade these players like their athlete stock. And that's really the focus with what we're building at Starstock is trying to create a market that works well for, you know, uh, these modern cards because the traditional marketplaces that have been around for years um, have a lot of friction when it comes to moving these modern cards. Okay, so tell me your background. How did you get into this? Well, I grew up a really, really big collector. I think a lot of sports fans, obviously, when they're younger, um, I guess it depends exactly when they were growing up. But for me, um, it was the late 90s, early 2000s. I was, I was a big card collector. My, my dad was really into it um, back in the 70s. Um, so my brother and I would go to the card shows and, and would, you know, trade with our friends at, at recess and at lunch and whatnot. I think like a lot of others, I, I, I put the hobby down, um, you know, when I got, when I got to my teenage years and then about two, three years ago, I got really into it. And so I'm a big fantasy sports player. So I kind of came into the hobby from, you know, from fantasy sports and really looked at it from like an analytical point of view. And I'm a big college basketball fan. So I, thought that um, trading young, you know, first, second, third year basketball players was my best chance of making money on my sports knowledge. Um, and I quickly figured out that 
Um, you know, I, I was getting better results in, in sports cards than I was in fantasy sports or sports betting. Um, all right. So you're treating this almost like a market, right? You guys will handle the actual physical cards. Is that correct? And others can come and trade as value goes up and down. Exactly. So what we've built is a stock market for assets. Um, and the sports cards are ba- basically the gold standard that holds it all together. And so how it works is we have a vault that has every single card that you see listed on our site is in our vault. And by doing that, really what we've done is we've taken um, shipping out of play. And so by not requiring um, our users to be shipping cards to each other, they can essentially trade the ownership rights instantly. And so we've created a market where people can buy these players at scale and trade them instantly without waiting for the card to get shipped to them. And so the product feels a lot like a stock market. And condition matters here too, right? I mean, if, if you're controlling that, the condition of the card, well, maybe that doesn't matter as much as it used to. Does it? Does mint condition still matter? Yes, it, 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 it certainly does. And so there are third-party grading companies um, that, that grade cards and, and basically what they do is based on the condition, they'll, they'll grade them a, a one through a 10, 10 being the best conditioned card. Um, and so we get tons of cards that are already, um, you know, graded from a third party. And we also get cards that are, that are not graded and that come to us what is what they called raw. Um, and we actually, you know, verify and, and, um, and, you know, put a stamp on the conditioning as well. And so we've come up with a system basically an ABC system where, where A's are the best conditioned cards and C's are the worst conditioned cards. And so um, as a result, just trying to provide a little bit of trust and help people identify that they're getting a good quality card when they're buying it. Uh, in the end though, like if someone buys the ownership rights, they could acquire it, right? I mean, to, to your point, some people are looking at this as art or in my case, I liked holding it. I liked having it. I liked having it in my collection where I could literally look at it. Like they can receive it, correct? 100%. Anyone can get their card shipped out at, at, at any time. We'll ship it to you. Um, you know, really the, the type of people that are really drawn to our marketplace are the ones that are, you know, looking to flip cards or, or do, you know, like more short-term investments. Yeah. Um, and so if you keep the card on the site, then you know that whenever it's the best chance to get rid of that player or flip that player, that you'll have the opportunity to do that. One thing that really frustrated me when I was getting back into, into collecting and investing in, in cards a couple of years ago was often at the best time to sell that player. I was actually still waiting for the card to show up in the mail or huh. that player just had an amazing game and I wasn't, I wasn't home and wasn't able to take pictures and get that card listed online. And so what's great about what we've done is we turn the physical cards into digital cards for you. So if you're at the bar and you're watching a game and a player goes off and you have their cards in your account, you can just pull it up on your phone and you can list those cards immediately. And so a really good example of this is there's a young uh, Laker player. He's in his second year. His name's Talon Horton Tucker. Um, You can basically call him like a no name the past year or so because the Lakers are so talented. And so he, he hasn't really gotten much playing time, but in his first preseason game this year, um, he had an awesome game 
and LeBron tweeted about how incredible of, of a player he is. And so his car jumped from 50 cents to about $10 in the, in the matter of hours. Huh. Um, and then the next game, he scored 33 points, and his car jumped up to $17. Um, and it reached a peak at 17 and then dropped back down to around 14 or 13. And so you only had a, a couple hours to really you know, uh, capitalize on that opportunity and sell that player at his peak of $17. And if you missed that opportunity, he's already kind of you know, trended a, a little bit back down, um, you know, reacting to, uh, to that news. And so what we do is we allow people that own those Talon Horton Tuckers to list them no matter where they are, uh, you know, in the country or in the world. Um, they can do it from their phone and they can sell the card instantly and then they don't need to worry about having to go and find the card and pack it up and ship it off to somebody. See, this is the part, and this is where it makes me the old man, where I'm trying to figure out, like, how are the values going up and down? When I collected cards, we went to card shows, and I went and bought Mickey Mantle or Willie Mays or Sandy Koufax or an old-time player because I knew what the value was in the age and condition of the card. But the new cards, when they came out, I looked at them as, at some point, they'll be valuable, but they won't be now. And you're telling me that that marketplace is completely shifted, that it can it can move daily almost. Yeah, it really depends, right? So LeBron is, has been playing, um, I think he completed his 17th year last year. He's on to year 18. LeBron scores 50 points every single night for a full week. His card price won't move because that's already built into his price. We already know that LeBron is one of the best players of all time. But if a rookie or a second-year player scores 50 points every night for, for a week, it's a whole different story. Um, and, you know, that, that could be looked at as like a coming-out party for them and that they're, you know, emerging into a, into a star. And so, um, you know, the, the younger players are really the ones that have more movement yeah. because they haven't proved, proven themselves yet, whereas the older, um, you know, stars that have been in the league for a while, LeBron, Kawhi, Kevin Durant, they're they're much more stable, um, and and obviously that can, continues into the into the vintage players as well because they're not really playing any games anymore. Right, and and you know what used to obviously drive a lot of value was scarcity. Um, I I just that's the other part I'm having a hard part understanding with the with the modern players and the modern collectibles is that scarcity is not an issue at least right now that it's not. So how how does that kind of factor into valuations? During the late 80s and, and early 90s, um, that was a period actually called the junk wax era. And a lot of the, you know, the, the card manufacturers oversupplied the market. Um, more recently, they've been a lot more careful with this. I think they've, they've learned that you, know, you can sell uh, 10,000 more cards by producing 5,000 less of them um, and really creating more hype and more scarcity. I think they've seen how the sneaker market's been able to do that over the past few years. Um, you know, you have these uh, Nike and, you know, Adidas limited edition sneakers that um, that go on sale for $200 and that are getting resold on the market for thousands afterwards. And it really builds up hype, um, you know, for the product. And so I think that, you know, these manufacturers have definitely changed how they produce these cards. A lot of, a lot of the cards as well, come um, with like a, a number on them. So they'll, they'll tell you on the back of the card how many um, variations of that card was even printed. And huh. So you can buy a LeBron James card 
that's numbered to 99, and it means that they only created 99 of those cards. And so they've made some adjustments based on, you know, uh, mistakes in the past. Um, and as a result, there's a lot more scarcity um, in the market today. Um, okay, last thing for you. So you have a lot of big name investors with you. The the founders of FanDuel, Kevin Durant is one of them, Vayner Sports, Gary Vaynerchuk. You know, I, so where's this going? Um, where where do you see where do you see Starstock moving? Yeah, I mean, we we want to be at the athlete stock market for sports fans to you know to invest and and buy into their favorite players, and that's that's really our vision. Uh, like I told you, you know, I, I really believe that um, sports cards are the best way to make money on your sports knowledge. Um, and we want to build a product that strips out friction and makes it easier for, for people to, to, to trade these cards. Um, and, and so that's really, you know, the, what we're working on. And that's, that's kind of our North Star. Scott Greenberg is the co-founder and CEO of Starstock. Thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. On the next Future Sport Podcast, hockey is back and figuring out how to best serve its fans once the doors are fully open again. There has been some opportunity out of challenge, and some of that opportunity has been to look more, uh, you know, at innovative solutions to how we operate as a business and how we operate on the ice. That's Javier Gutierrez, president and CEO of the Arizona Coyotes, where thinking of getting through the pandemic and what the return to normalcy looks like for fans is an ongoing endeavor. That will do it for this episode. As always, the future is now. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. The Future Sport Podcast is brought to you by 3Advance, developers of sports tech apps that are AI-powered and UX-focused. So if you're looking to create some apps for your startup or your sports biz calls for some artificial or business intelligence, you should check out 3Advance. They're incredible. Go to 3Advance.com. That's the number 3Advance.com.